What's good, everybody? This is X. We are reading out loud again. Back for chapter three of We Exist. This chapter is titled Senteo Ergo Sum. Also, I guess what it could stand for, I feel, therefore I am. Might as well get into it, right? Let's begin. Chapter three, Senteo Ergo Sum. Let's not forget that the little emotions are the great captains of our lives, and yet we obey them without realizing it. Vincent van Gogh, 1889. It was French philosopher René Descartes who first coined the phrase cogito ergo sum, translated into English as I think, therefore I am. To Descartes, it was a proposition that simply stated, because of my ability to think, I must exist. And while I am certain that there is more to the phrase than to simply prove our existence, it is only one half of the I exist equation. Because our existence, at least on planet Earth, is based on duality, meaning that to have one thing we must have its opposite and usually everything in between, there must be a force to balance out the concept of I think, therefore I am. Thus why I titled this chapter, Sentio Ergo Sum, translated into English as, I feel, therefore I am. As it exemplifies, at least to me, the other half of the equation. And while it may seem a little trite, basically because I am copying the original saying, simply switching out one word for another, however, I also feel like it pays homage to the great philosopher, at least, or as it builds upon his original idea. If anything, it adds an additional layer to the concept mainly because it takes both thought and uh, the ability to think and emotion, the ability to feel, to manifest anything into the physical world. And while action is required during the, the finishing stages of manifestation, without thought or emotion, nothing would exist. This, of course, includes our universe. And while it may be tough to picture our universe having emotion, mainly because everyone perceives it in their own unique way, when looking at the concept of emotion from an objective point of view, say, from the macrocosm, perhaps it's best to start by first breaking down the word emotion, then moving on to more technical thoughts, ideas, and concepts. However, before getting to the definition, I'd first like to address the idea that some words have Easter eggs hidden within them. Of course, I'm not talking about the type of Easter eggs that children find on Easter morning, but the type that people find on DVDs and in video games. These Easter eggs are often unexpected, and yet, for the true fan, they take the viewing experience to another level. The same can be said for words. For instance, it's possible that the term ego is the combination of two words, emotional and gorilla, as well as egos, or emotional guidance operating system. If you think about it, are we not considered the highest form of ape, and at the same time, completely riddled with emotion? Thus, is it not fitting that when we put these two words together, that their first syllables of each word spell ego? And that's just one of a multitude of words. 
Of course, I don't expect anyone to understand how I see these Easter eggs or for anyone to see these Easter eggs themselves. However, I do feel it's important to share this skill with as many people as possible. Who knows? It may spark the life's work of someone else who then begins to scan every word in the English language hoping to find other eggs and onward. And while these eggs may be few and far between, at least at the start, I am certain that once people understand what to look for, they'll begin to see these unexpected gifts more often. Of course, one example isn't enough to get started, and thus perhaps it's best to discuss the main word of this chapter, emotion, and find the Easter eggs hidden within it. Energy in motion. Now, when looking at the word emotion, one of the most notable things we see is that it's the combination of the letter E and the word motion. Breaking it down further, according to Webster, uh, Merriam Webster's online, the first definition of motion states that it's an act or process one second, of moving. And while most people are probably aware of what motion is, it's also important to break down these subwords just in case we're missing something. Of course, we can break down the word motion further by seeking its root words, but for the most part, since we've found the gist of its importance, we can move on to the letter E and figure out the role it plays in the Easter egg. For starters, there's a multitude of words that begin with the letter E. However, one word takes precedence over all of them. Think about Einstein's most famous equation, E equals mc squared. When expanded upon, the equation reads energy equals mass times speed of light squared. Of course, energy, be it from a scientific perspective or certain spiritual circles, is what most people believe our universe is comprised of, at least at a quantum level. It is also what the E stands for in this Easter egg for emotion. Now, when we take these two words, energy and motion, and put them together, we get energy motion. Unfortunately, this doesn't quite pair as well as the words emotional gorilla. However, by taking a small amount of liberty in, and placing the word in, in between the two words, we are then left with the phrase energy in motion. Now, think about emotions. Does it not sum up how they feel like a surge of energy rushing through our bodies, at least sometimes? And well, there will be some who already know about this Easter egg. For those reading about it for the first time, it's pretty interesting, isn't it? Of course, Ego and emotion aren't the only words that can be broken down. Even the word energy can be broken down to reveal an Easter egg of its own. You just need to know what you're looking for. Of course, there is a technical side to breaking down words, which encompasses discoveries made in the real world. When considering the term emotion, the technical definition, at least according to Merriam-Webster Online, is defined as a state of feeling. Of course, this isn't the same type of feeling associated with our sense of touch, which is physical, but more of an internal sense, 
often controlled by the heart and monitored by the brain. However, because we don't give the heart enough credit, especially considering it's our emotional guidance center, when triggered with an emotional response, we often think it's coming from an irrational place, often from our more creative right side of our brain. I say irrational because our emotions often lack any type of rationality when they first arise. Rationality, of course, being an attribute of the left, more analytical side of our brains. Generally speaking, because we know so little about our emotions, we often have little to no control over them. And thus, when we are triggered, with an emotional attack, be it of anger, joy, disgust, sadness, or fear, or any of the sub-emotions that live in between, we often fall victim to said attack until it runs its course. Perhaps this is because our emotional programming is controlled by the ego, our operating system, and not the spirit, which has come here to rest, create, and explore, including the explorations of concepts like emotions. Speaking of spirits, while it's important to address the more scientific side of our words, ideas, and concepts, especially when discussing the existence of the universe, it's also important to address and explore the more spiritual side of our words, ideas, and concepts, mainly because they balance out the equation. Of course, I'm using the, ter the, the current worldly definition of the term spiritual, and not the definition I used in the preface. Therefore, and with that said, the first thing I often look at when dealing with words, ideas, and concepts on a spiritual level is how they fit into the concept of duality. For those who have yet to read my book, Imagine, duality is described as an, in an instance of opposition or contrast between two concepts or two aspects of something. Balance is key. Thus, when breaking down words, ideas, and concepts with duality, what we are actually looking for are the two halves that make something whole. Two halves. For instance, now that we've broken down the term emotion into energy and motion, or energy in motion, we can now take each word and break them down even further. And while I'm certain that most people have a fundamental grasp on the concept of motion, for those that don't, I highly recommend researching Newton's first law. As for those that do, you know that motion comes in two main forms, or halves for dualistic purposes, in motion and not in motion, or stillness. Furthermore, for those that have taken a physics, physics class the following won't be new information. Just as motion has two halves, in motion and stillness, so does the concept of energy. Thus, when energy is broken down dualistically, we find that it has two states, potential and kinetic. Starting with potential energy, it is defined as energy that a piece of matter has because of its position or na nature or because of the arrangements of parts. This, of course, is easily comparable to that of stillness, as objects in both definitions are often at rest. As for kinetic energy, it is simply defined as energy associated with motion. Thus, just as potential energy and stillness go hand in hand, so does kinetic energy and motion.
shifting pace, if we take a more metaphysical standpoint on both the terms energy and motion, we find that one parallels the ideas of being passive, stillness, potential energy, while the other parallels the idea of being active, in motion, kinetic energy. From there, it is, simple, uh, it is a simple hop into the realm of spirituality as the term passive and active are already considered spiritual terms. Furthermore, these two terms run parallel to that of masculine and feminine energy, the two energy types that our universe is made of, at least from a spiritual standpoint. Of course, it's important to note that I'm not associating the terms masculine and feminine with that of gender, as gender is something that resides solely in areas that offer free will, choice. Instead, I am using the terms masculine and feminine to describe the two main energy sources that create our current existence, our universe, i.e. magnetism and electricity. With that in mind, it's important to note that masculine and feminine energies operate equally yet differently on both the macrocosmic level as well as the microcosmic. For the macrocosm, it's shown in the separation of light from darkness, the creation of electricity from magnetism. On the microcosm, it's flipped or mirrored, and thus our more active shade is that of light, masculine, while our more passive shade is that of darkness, feminine. Of course, this separation is more complicated than simply painting white specks on a dark canvas, and thus I feel it's best to leave it for another volume. However, before moving forward, it's important to wrap up the concept of how the universe can have emotion. Spiraling forward. Just like the microcosm, where every species reacts to emotion differently, the macrocosm is no different, only on a greater scale. Perhaps the best example to use for the macrocosm is the expansion of the universe, science's Big Bang. Now, for those that believe in another creation story, if you can suspend your belief for a second and consider the Big Bang to be true, the following will make more sense. Generally speaking, it is common knowledge that our universe is comprised of matter, the building blocks of our existence. Now, before matter is really anything, it starts off as tiny atoms, building up the courage to explode into light. This is matter in its most passive form, its, um, its state of potential energy. And while some may assume that this state is associated with fear, as fear is often associated with darkness, in this form, it's actually in transition from nothingness into anger the hottest state of our emotions, perhaps, um, I'm sorry, perhaps this could use a deeper explanation. You see, upon being birthed into light, thanks to a massive eruption, matter bursts onto the scene and begins its initial battle of survival with antimatter. It is here that our first example of emotion is registered, anger, or what I like to consider survival, the emotion of, like, never mind, we'll get into that later. Um, this, of course, matches. This, of course, matches well with our root chakra, which not only aligns with the color red, same as anger, but also with the function of survival. 
Perhaps this is also where the phrase survival of the fittest actually comes from, as we wouldn't exist today, at least not in our current state, without matter winning the war. And because of this victory, the remaining matter is now charged with energy and thus has no other choice but to expand the universe beyond its current state of being. This is energy in motion. From here we have two options of expansion to explore. The first being the traditional route where we explore the beliefs that the universe expands out outwardly from a central point of light, heat. The second being to explore it from the perspective that our heat source is forever spiraling forward leaving formed matter in its wake. Of course, this lands us with the same end principle that the further matter is away from its heat source, the more it becomes solid. And while we can go the traditional route and I can explain in greater detail how anger, joy, indifference, sadness, and fear fit into our traditional concept of expansion, why not flex on our imagination slightly and explore the spiral expansion concept of our universe instead. To start with, because we are dealing with a different type of expansion, with heat being the active ingredient spiraling the universe forward, as the universe charges ahead, small deposits of matter are left in its wake. It is these small bits of dust that I will address first. Let there be a motion. Now, because these bits are still close to the original heat source and thus still hot themselves, they most likely take on the form of a gas. And if that's the case, then matching these bits with colors and emotions is quite easy. Take anger and joy, for instance. Are they not the hotter of our five core emotions, with anger being the hottest red and joy being a slightly cooler yellow? Of course, in between anger and joy, or red and yellow, are a multitude of sub-emotions like excitement, aggression, passion, as well as everyone's favorite, anxiety, which would align with the color orange. However, because joy is so close to the fulcrum of the heat scale, it is also possible for it to act as both a gas and a liquid, considering that it can operate in both ecstasy and contentment with ecstasy allowing us to fly high, i.e. a gas, and contentment allowing us to simply go with the flow, liquid. Continuing with liquids, as the latter half of joy can be found in this type of state, figuratively speaking, the first half of sadness can be found here as well. The two, of course, acting as bookends for indifference, disgust, As for colors, we follow the same pattern above, i.e. the colors of the rainbow. If joy is yellow, then indifference, disgust is green, and sadness is blue. Of course, this only includes the first half of sadness, as the latter half leads to our final state of matter, the universe descent into solidity, or our fall into fear. Fear, the cool, solid state. Now, at as our heat source spirals away, these once small bits of dust, now formed into, liquid into a liquid state, are ready for their final transformation into, or transformation, solidity, our coolest state of matter. Thus, if the colors red, orange, and yellow represent our hottest states, 
or hotter states, perhaps the opposite can be said about violet, indigo, and blue, our more cooler colors, representing fear, sadness, and any emotion that falls in between, like depression. This, of course, completes the process of connecting emotions to states of matter and color. As for what happens to these creations, once they take a solidified state, well, that will have to wait. Oh, wait. As for what happens to these creations, once they take a solidified state, well, that will have to wait for another volume. For now, let's explore how color, heat, and the universe creation and emotions connect to one of the most abstract concepts in our existence, time. Looking at time from a general perspective, we can see that it too evenly um, even it divides evenly into three parts past present and future furthermore it also mimics our three states of matter as our future is still being created gas our present is fluid and forever changing liquid and our past is essentially cemented in place solid of course there is more to these three states than the simple introduction provided above so let's dig deeper Generally speaking, there is a belief that time is an illusion. And while this is technically true, what we fail to understand is that everything in existence in the, is an illusion, from the data collected by the five senses to our thoughts and emotions. It's all an illusion. Nothing more than electrical impulses translating, into, uh, translating data into tangible bits of information. The key is to understand that the idea of everything being an illusion is both true and false. You see, from a macrocosmic point of view, nothing is real. It's all in the eye of the creator. And it's only when we go within the eye that we can experience the microcosm. This then gives us permission to explore the illusion of existence as if it were real meaning we can explore and discover the creations of the grand designer within the illusion itself, much like how holographic images can interact with one another within the same hologram. Thus, while time may not technically exist in the macrocosm, it absolutely exists for us while we experience the microcosm as this is what gives matter its shape. Lastly, at least on the topic of time being an illusion. It allows us to scale down the unscalable, therefore allowing us to experience existence without it being completely overwhelming. Considering it's already overwhelming for some and we've only started exploring the basics. The colors of time. And while I've already discussed elements of time in a previous chapter of Cycles and Stages, for this section, I'd like to discuss how time shapes. I'd like to discuss how time shapes our lives. As discussed above, time in general, ex in a general sense, exists in three main states: the future, gas; the present, liquid; and the past, solid. With each state playing a role or a different role in our lives. To start with, let's look at the present. For most people, it's the only state that they are conscious of. This is why most spiritual gurus encourage others to embrace the now, 
simply because the future is indeterminable and the past has already happened. And while time is happening all around us, meaning that we are experiencing our future, present and past, at the same time, it's difficult to see how this is possible. Again, remember that time is an illusion and that we choose to see it linear, linearly so that we can map out our history on a timeline and study it. But it doesn't have to be linear. It's, a simply, it's simply a choice. If you think about it, how often do we catch ourselves daydreaming or remembering the past? And while our bodies may be in the present moment, our minds clearly our minds are clearly elsewhere. Therefore, just like how joy is split between a gas and a liquid state, and sadness is split between a liquid and a solid state, the present is also split between all three states, and thus resonates between the colors yellow and blue, with green landing in between. This, of course, becomes more convoluted when defining colors for both our past and future. This is because each and every one of us views these states differently. For instance, we all know people who either live in the past or are five minutes into the future. You know, the one, the ones, the friends, you know the ones, the friends or acquaintances who constantly reminisce about the good old days or talk about how great the future will be as soon as they have this or that. And depending on that state they enjoy more, and depending on what state they enjoy more, be it their past or future, will determine the colors that link to each state. Case in point, if one is stuck in the past, it often means that they find joy in that state. Thus, their past is linked to yellow. However, because joy ranks close to anger, it is also possible for said being to be angry about a few instances of their past, be it a grudge, a past relationship, or a bad business venture, etc. And thus, even though most of their memories are filled with yellow, a few may be tainted with orange and red. And if that's the case, and they view their past through yellow, orange, and red lenses, then the opposite must be true about the future, with said individual seeing uh, things through fear and sadness, or blue and violet. And while it may not be true for everyone, I've often found that those stuck in the past stay there because the future scares them. Thus, instead of embracing the unknown, they cling to whatever is comfortable, i.e. their old music, their old shows, older model cars, clothes, and most importantly, their memories the older the better but when you ask them about the future they clam up or have nothing positive to say or they think it's bleak and unchanging thus while joy and anger define their past fear and sadness define their future of course not everyone fits this description this being um, this is because the above is the first of three variations with the second showing the past being linked to fear and sadness, violet and blue, and the future being linked to joy and anger, yellow and red. For a quick example, these include your optimistic for change type beings, including those that will fight to see their movement come to fruition. Unfortunately, while this may be a generalization, most people that fit this description rarely want to look at their past. 
because sorry because of this they've created a massive resistance towards any type of negativity as any form of negativity may disrupt their connection to the universe which is simply untrue and just a belief the third and last variation includes those that attempt to remain balanced throughout each of these states of time and thus remain an emotional state of indifference which honestly could probably be the state like an emotional state of being in peace right with uh, uh, indifference green with a touch of yellow and blue as much as possible however these beings the beings who have ventured within embraced both their light and dark sides and therefore have learned to accept that their true authentic self or learn to accept their true authentic selves which also includes living in a fluid state of being this of course is the best possible scenario for us to attain as it allows us to remain in a state of bliss all the while observing the chaos going on around us however just because one is able to attain this state of being doesn't mean they are stuck that way or nor does it mean that anyone who typically enjoys reminiscing about the past can't be excited about the future and vice versa for the most part everything i've discussed above is simply an introductory outlook at how time correlates with both the three states of matter as well as the colors of the rainbow not to mention our emotions of course there is another aspect to these connections that i'd like to explore which i'll get into next triggers of the heart generally speaking our emotions play a bigger role in our lives than we consider for example our memories which are nothing more than creations of past events are often riddled with emotion from anger to joy to sadness and fear as well as any sub emotions held in between in fact the more emotion a memory has the greater impact it has on both present day and and future events furthermore it is our memories fused with emotion that cause our triggers to come out and play and just so we're on the same page there are both good and bad triggers however because we've been conditioned to believe that the term trigger is bad we mostly associate them with being or with being negative therefore whenever someone claims to have been triggered it is often from a memory that has one or perhaps a combination of the following emotions attached anger fear or sadness each combination of course meriting its own style of outburst of course in order to delve further into this concept it's important to understand the connection between memories and triggers to do so let's first discuss what a memory is at least when it comes to this theory generally speaking a memory is the combination of two separate parts the event the physical actions and the story the meaning and feelings attached this includes our emotions which when involved in an altercation be it physical or verbal cause a signal to be sent into our memory storage searching for anything that matches the description of the current altercation once a memory is found said memory triggers our other or said memory triggers other memories eventually evoking our most dominant emotion of said matches the root explained further below 
is this emotion when triggered that comes to our rescue and protects us. Unfortunately, once the altercation has been dealt with, another memory is created which includes another story, emotion, that strengthens the dominance of the root. Perhaps this is why some habits die hard. You see, our memories once recorded and stored are constantly building upon each other, and while they may be stored in, in sequential order, with the latest memory in the first position, they are rarely accessed that way, especially when we are triggered. Generally speaking, this is because our triggers happen by surprise, often sending us on autopilot. From there, our brain searches for similar memories, ones that match the current events somewhat like our search engines. I'm sorry, somewhat like our search engines online. However, unlike search engines, where the results show the top most important sites first, our memories flow in descending order, starting with the first position, our most recent memories, leading down to the bottom, the earliest memory that releases the trigger. One second. From there, they compound one on top of the other with the oldest, often the one with one, the deepest roots at the bottom of the very last page. And while this doesn't really affect us when we scan through memories of joy, as we become accustomed to the positivity that joy has to offer, the real damage occurs when we scan through our emotions of anger, sadness, and fear. These are what cause our negative triggers to react as the root emotion that causes said triggers not only masks itself under all earlier memories but also permeates upwards infecting all other memories in the query. Of course, there is a positive and negative side to all of this. And while we're, we'll get to the positive side in a second, let's address the negative first. The roots of good and evil. First and foremost, whether you are ready to hear this or not, everything we encounter on this planet has shaped our lives. This includes everything in the physical realm as well as everything in the mental. You see, the events in our lives and the emotional attachment we add to them make us who we are today. Unfortunately, because we don't exactly understand how our emotions operate, we stick to tried and true methods of psychotherapy or seeing a counselor. And while I don't have an issue with either profession, as I've been to counseling myself, I do think they are missing a few key elements. The first is to understand that our memories, although singular, can change over time. This all depends on the main root of the query. Meaning that if a joyful memory ends up in a query with a main root of sadness, said memory could actually become one of sadness. For example, let's say you're having fun with, a, with your significant other. With every second that passes, memories are being created, ones that can be reflected upon um, later in your head. For this example, let's say all of these memories fit under the emotion of joy. Now, similar to Newton's first law of motion, these memories will stay joyful as long as the main root is also that of joy. However, let's say you're doing something similar 
the following week, except this time your partner tri triggers a negative memory within you. This new memory queries all similar memories, including those that share an acute likeness to any it's already found, only ending when it reaches its earliest memory. It is this memory that the real damage is done. Being the core of the query, this earliest memory is also the most powerful and influential on the list. For example, it has the ability to corrupt all other memories in the query to match its likeness. Therefore, if a core memory holds, uh, if, the, if the, sorry, therefore, if a core holds a memory of joy, it is also possible for said core to change the memories on the list of, to that joy. The same goes for any emotion at the core, be it of anger, sadness, fear, indifference, etc. This is because the earliest memory permeates its essence throughout the rest of the list, potentially corrupting all other memories within it. Therefore, if the event above queried a core emotion of anger, it is likely that all other memories in the query, including those of joy, could also become that of anger. Another thing to keep in mind is that every step or action we take or thought we have a query is created. And because it happens so fast, we rarely take notice that it is, um, that is until something makes us uncomfortable. Unfortunately, it often takes a disruption in our comfort zone for us to truly take notice of something being wrong, which is why we rarely pay attention to our emotions while in a state of joy. If it ain't broke, why fix it, right? I've also found that most people would rather cling to their preferred state of comfort, fear, rather than fix whatever issues are at hand. And by fix, I mean go within and deal with the pain. Furthermore, instead of realizing that we, for the most part, are the issue depending on the issue, we often pass the buck to someone else. This is because, generally speaking, we base our levels of comfort off the interactions we have with people, meaning that as long as everyone behaves within our preferred level of discretion, then we remain okay. However, when people step over the line, which obviously disrupts our comfort zone, we jump into action, trying to contain, maintain the fire, instead of putting it out. Putting it out meaning that we dig deep within ourselves, find the root causing the issue, and create a new positive or balanced association with it. Make sense? And I'm going to end there. That's the first half, part one of chapter three of We Exist. I feel therefore I am, or um, whatever. I'm tired. So I hope you guys enjoyed this. I'm going to get into the, the latter half in the next episode. Peace and have a great day, night, evening, morning, wherever you are in the world, wherever you are in existence. And that's about it. Peace out.